wanted to start this podcast to share hunting stories of my experiences and what I've done over the years. There's so much more that is involved in hunting than just pulling the trigger and killing an animal. We want to be inspirational, educational, but we also want to have a good time and teach you how to have a good time as well. And on this episode, I have Harold Rondan from South Florida. I remember a teacher I had, she was groggy, half asleep. You know, this is your most secure place, your bathroom. I don't even know what happened. Something told me to grab my glasses and look in the toilet. And I seen this dinosaur. For me, I'm doing Thai red curry. So the meat, it's very lean. And my second choice would be iguana burgers. It's just like a squirrel, they stay still. If you don't have a dog, you know, you have one person stand and the next person walk around the tree to try to get the squirrel to move. Same thing almost with the iguana. The iguana's first defense mechanism is camouflage. If you see them in the grass or in a tree, they're gonna lay flat. The moment you point, they know it and they're gone. Welcome to Hunting Day with Stephen Robbins. Now for your host, Stephen Robbins. All right, guys and gals, welcome back to another episode of Hunting Day. And on this episode, I have Harold Rondan. And Harold is from South Florida. And if any of you guys are following us on uh, social media, Instagram and Facebook, which I believe you are, you've seen that a few weeks ago we were in South Florida doing some iguana hunting. And Harold is who we went with. And Harold owns Iguana Lifestyles LLC there in South Florida. So Harold, really appreciate you coming on. Thank you for having me. Uh, love the podcast stuff. Love to be a part of it. Absolutely, man. We really appreciate you. Everything that you did for us down there, we had such a blast. And, you know, I've seen YouTube videos. I've seen different posts, different reels, a lot of different content coming out of South Florida where people are shooting iguanas with air guns, shooting them with bow fishing gear, as well as blow guns. And I knew right away that I wanted to have some sort of piece of that action and we couldn't have picked a better person to go with when we when we did because Harold is amazing at what he does and I'm gonna give him a plug here we went down we did a family vacation around the Orlando area then we went over to the Atlantic Ocean side the east coast side of florida and did some alligator hunting and we had a blast doing that as well but then we traveled south and it was kind of towards the tail end of our trip and everybody was a little bit little you know tired our spirits weren't near as high but the kids and us we weathered through it and we pushed through it but i'll tell you what it was refreshing to come and go on a hunt with harold because um, a lot of people know that we homeschool our kids. And so we were actually able to turn this into an educational experience, not just a hunting experience. And so Harold is a wealth of knowledge when it comes to Florida habitat or Florida ecosystem. And what, primarily what the iguanas are doing to all of that. And so he took the time to educate us, but more importantly, he took the time to educate Ava because she was full of questions. And so I just want to give him a plug that if you are interested in learning one about Florida and it's different and it's diverse ecosystem, Harold is your man. But then too, if you want to go kill some iguanas, Harold is definitely your man because I don't know how many we saw. We probably saw close to a thousand that day. We shot a bunch and we had a blast. So, um, 
Harold, you know, it was it was really interesting where we met. We met at a Western store right along a canal. And it's an easy spot for Harold to meet people at. And, you know, I have thought it was really fun the way that we met and the atmosphere of how we met. But Harold, won't you kind of tell the people like what's your idea behind how you meet people as far as to start out? Walk us through all the motions that we went through before we started hunting, like as far as getting familiar with your guns and things like that. I think actually it started off amazing. Um, you guys were actually inside the Western store and I was outside waiting. I think you guys were using the bathroom or something, but right away they couldn't have started off any better with two of Davy's finest um, horses. You met the horses, which are sworn in police officers and two police officers. They were, I believe former race horses and they adopted them and now they work for the local PD I remember Declan, your son, <laughs> ran in, came out with the brush to try to brush the horse. It was amazing. I think it was just great. Um, but, yes, the West Western store is a great place to make people feel at home. Um, it's a country atmosphere. Their architect is all country, the mechanic shop, the McDonald's. You can ride up on a horse and tie them up. So it's a good atmosphere for most people that are hunting because that's what's coming down here. You know, there's only iguanas in two places. There's no iguanas anywhere else in the States except for South Florida and Puerto Rico. So that being said, I like people to feel at home. They get the whole Western outdoors feel. And then uh, there's a canal right across the street, um, which is a little crazy because you do have two main roads, which is something you're not used to. But it's a safe place to meet people, to fight in your guns, go over your guns and see how people shoot and see how disciplined they are. People are thinking, oh, they're just shooting, but this is what I'm watching. Are they going to listen when I say stop? Are they listening to the having the gun on uh, safety? You know, because that lets me know where I can take you. If you can't listen, we're going to keep you out in the wide open and you can be a cowboy, but now you can listen and you're a hunter and you can go. Now we're going to bring you to some residential areas where the, unfortunately, that's where these iguanas are. That's where the damage is being done. So once we get everyone going, comfortable, we usually will get one or two right there, and then we'll go over the anatomy right there. You know, safe places on where to grab them, what the defense mechanism, their camouflage, their tail whipping. And then right when we're out in the canal, um, we see the destruction right away. Uh, I don't know if you remember all the holes that we saw in all the patches. These holes, they're digging four to six feet, and they're like labyrinths that can intertwine up to 80 feet. So now you have that just four, six feet under the edge of a bank, a house. And when it rains, it causes collapsion, erosion. And that's one of the main reasons um, these iguanas are causing the destruction down here. They are, we're losing land, land to get back. Just say for a block, a block and a half, a hundred thousand dollars. That's mm. very expensive. And people are like, oh, you're losing land. But if you live on a canal or on a seawall, as soon as you lose too much land, it becomes a threat once it gets to your foundation of your home. Yeah. Once it gets 10 feet, you know? Um, so basically, it's, it's a big problem out here. It's fairly new, but it's been going on for a while. Um, there's a lot of mixed emotions going down here. 
Um, you have the state telling you to get rid of them, but then they're also the same ones, in my opinion, protecting them. And my way of protecting them is if you go to any park, even if they allow fishing, you're supposed to be able to catch iguanas. They're not protected. There's only an anti-cruelty law, meaning you can't make them suffer. There's no poisoning them. There's no drowning them. There's no burning them. It has to be a blunt object to the head or a pellet, something humane. So most people don't understand that. Um, there's a lot of stuff going on down here with these iguanas. So besides losing the land, uh, most people understand that these iguanas are vegetarians. That is correct. Uh, iguanas are, are a vegetarian in their natural habitat. But here in South Florida, they're considered an invasive species, meaning they don't belong here. So as any other animal in any of the world, wherever you put it, they adapt. So now what I've personally seen, these iguanas are now evolving and becoming omnivores slash opportunists. I've seen them eat fried chicken wings. I've seen them eat shrimp. Um, they're hanging out by garbage cans. People feed them bread. Um, now, since they've become opportunities and evolving and becoming um, one with their environment now here, they evolved to eating one of our native species, which is a threatened species here, which is called the burring owl. It digs a hole. It's very little, very cute. So now what happens, the Mexican spiny tail or the green iguana, once they get a certain length, they're going to go into there, say, hey, someone already built me a home. They'll eat the eggs, eat the young, and force the adults away. And that's what's happening. So they're becoming an endangered species. Um, we have the Miami blue butterfly. That's, I think, only one island left in the Keys. The, they're eating them as well. They're eating duck eggs. Um, so that's the natives that they're threatening. We've covered the landscaping with the flowers and the erosion collapsion. Now, when you're having an iguana situation somewhere, say you see a hundred iguanas somewhere, if nothing's being done to get rid of them or control them in any type of way, every year that number doubles. So if you have a hundred this year, next year you have 200. So what's happening is these you have parks that they don't let you take them out of. Once they get so many in there, they start going into the homes. Now when they go into the homes, they're becoming a problem, mm -hmm. a big problem. This is the biggest one, and you might think I'm making this up, but I promise you, if you're listening to this podcast, you're going to love it because you're going to Google whenever you get a chance, iguanas in the toilet. When you posted that picture on Instagram and Facebook, and I'm like, because you were telling me about this before we even came down. You're like, yeah, you know, they're they're getting in people's toilets and things like that. And I'm like, oh, like, OK, yeah, I'm, I don't not believe you, but I don't think it's like that common. But then when you start posting pictures, because that's what you do when you're not guiding, you're going and removing them yourself. And uh, you start posting these pictures and I'm like, holy crap. That's an iguana in somebody's toilet. Not, you know, I can only imagine, you know, some lady going and sitting on the toilet at two o'clock in the morning, not thinking to even look in her toilet for an iguana. Could you imagine that? That's so I this has happened. Hey, listen, if you Google it, you will see the stories. Like I'm on the news 
about 10 different times, 10 different articles, but mostly the women, it's, you know, they don't even know. I've had, I remember a teacher I had, she was groggy, half asleep. You know, this is your most secure place, you know, your bathroom, you know, that's your place of peace and you're groggy and you're not looking. I remember she even said, it. she's like, I don't even know what happened. Something told me to grab my glasses and look in the toilet. And I seen this dinosaur and they have a heart attack. You know, it's something you're not expecting and you're halfway groggy. And mostly the ones that you're seeing are the Mexican spiny tail, which is more prone to bite. It's the fastest land lizard clocking in at 21 and a half miles per hour. Um, when it bites you, it does a log jaw and does a gator roll. So it's taking flesh with you where the common green iguana will just bite you for you to let go. We have four established iguanas here in South Florida. Uh, the one that we're always seeing, the big green ones, big orange ones, those are your um, common green iguanas. They grow up. I have the record on record on tape. Uh, they probably get bigger. I've probably seen bigger. Uh, six, four and a half inches. That's bigger than me. That's a big iguana. These things look like gators when you see them swimming and you just see a big head they look like many gators in the water so those are your green iguanas then we have the mexican spiny tail iguana it almost looks like a zebra because it has these white stripes on it we have the black iguana and then we have a small one now it's called the gamo iguana which is an african iguana um they don't they look probably they don't grow as big but you can bottom by the males the males have a big right big red big bright red head it's amazing they look beautiful they're just ending up everywhere so the mexican iguanas are getting inside the toilets <laughs> um i get about two three calls a week on this because they're getting in through two ways they're, you have vent stacks on your roof if you have every bathroom has one every exhaust and then the attic so what happens is they get on the roof, either it's usually summertime, so it's hot. I'm assuming they smell the water and they get in. Once they get in, it's PCP pipe and it's whatever bathroom they come out of. Um, so you, I've come up with a mesh that I put over it with a hose clamp so we block it. Then there's a flush out. Almost all the houses have a flush out. It's a pipe that every time you run water or something that goes into the sewage. And basically when you have landscaping, um, for a lot of years, you know, they'll run over here and there and eventually it'll break so it's open. They'll fall in there and get into your toilet. Those are two main ways they're getting in. So we have land, landscape, toilet issues, and now um, they're getting into uh, basically what happens is they're getting in there because they need the sun. All iguanas, the reptiles, they need 12 hours of light for energy. And so when it's sunny, they they go out there and they sunbathe. It's like they're at the beach. Um, so our power plant has these like sonar panels and stuff. And what happens is they get on them and they've readjusted them back in the day because birds used to land on them and cause power outages. Now you have an iguana six feet weighing 20 pounds. It's not registered for that. They're blowing up generators. They're calling power outages. They're breaking ACs. There was a company that spent uh, – 1.3 million dollars to get this his corporate ac fixed um it's just a lot of damages that they're doing out here so we've come up with a way 
since the state's telling you, hey, we have the problem, but they're not really doing anything about it. They're just telling you, hey, go ahead and do something. There's no programs implemented like uh, the Pythons. We have down here, we have a Python program. Like right now, we just signed up in August. It starts where for a whole month, they open Everglades for people to go hunt pythons because they're an invasive species eating everything, deer, turtles, gators. All our native species are getting torn up. And my opinion is that's a problem that's out in the Everglades. We have a problem that's literally coming out of people's toilets. No pun intended. (laughs) But literally, someone's going to get bit here. Something's going to happen, but nothing's being done. No programs, you know, a bounty, nothing. So we take it upon ourselves um, and we come up with taking people out on the guides. Like I said, there's only two places you can do this here, Puerto Rico and South Florida. So it, it's a great market. Um, and most people don't understand that these iguanas were actually bred for a food source. So people are like, what? You know, nasty. I I had the same mentality. Uh, if you think of our history with lobster, lobster was once considered a trash fish. Now it's a delicacy everywhere you go. Yeah. So iguanas was actually a delicacy in Central America. They have farms to breed them. These iguanas breed twice a year, dropping 50 to 60 eggs per year. Like right now, for the next three months here in South Florida, every day it rains, there's iguana, baby iguanas being born. Mm. 50 to 60. So if you have multiple, you're looking at two, 300 iguanas in one, you can wake up to that in one day. So we've come up with recipes. I've met a lot of people that grew up from Central America, 20 years. Most people I'm finding is, oh my God, my parents used to cook this one growing up. You know, so now they find it here. Um, the only issue with it being down here, it cannot be sold for consumption of food. It's not FDA approved, which this is not backwards Florida. So if you know Florida, you know we're just we're just not right down here for some reason. So <laughs> we cannot sell iguanas for food of consumption. Okay. But yet, if you go to Florida Fish and Wildlife, which is your guys' DNR, ours is Florida Fish and Wildlife down here, yep. they have recipes for you to cook the iguana. Like, it makes no sense to me at all. <laughs> now, what would you say... If so, say for example, like well, actually, let's just when I first came down there, and I'm you were telling me that they're good to eat, and I've heard this from a lot of people. What's your go-to recipe for iguana? I would have to first find out. For me, I'm doing um a, a Thai red curry. Okay. So the meat, it's very lean. Um, there's no fat on it. And I and my second choice would be iguana iguana burgers. So that just, is one of my top. Ones. You just grind it up, grind it up, and so just like deer meat, you you put in some bacon to make it stick. And I'm talking, you season it right. One of the best burgers you have ever had. Um, but the red curry, you want to really stew it. Um, you got to stew it just like a hog, depending how you clean it. You know, you don't clean it correctly. The meat can go bad. The reason I say stewing it, because you can't really overstew it. Um, and then once you get to learn about the meat, um, then you'll learn how to grill it and fry it. The problem with grilling it and frying it is 
the meat is very easy to overcook. And the moment you overcook it, you just wasted the meat. It becomes chewy, a little nasty taste to it. You have it's, And then you don't want to undercook it. Very thin line. Like I took a trip to Puerto Rico and got invited. And these guys in Puerto Rico, they are FDA approved. So they're everything they hunt. Um, so basically you go on a guide with them. They keep all the meat, skin it, and they get to package it and sell it. Okay. So they've never ate iguana. So I was like, what? As like, yeah, it doesn't, we heard it doesn't taste right. So I was watching how they were cleaning it. And I saw why it reasons why it couldn't taste right. You know, there's a, there's a urine sack. And if that gets on the meat and you don't clean it off and it just sits on it, you just wasted the meat. But, um, we went to this, to the beach to go eat and go figure they have iguana empanadas and we ordered iguana empanadas dolphin empanadas caiman empanadas pretty much anything you can think of in the chicken empanada beef empanadas and the best one everyone agreed was iguana really yeah and then i i was so inspired that i came and made it myself no that's awesome so iguana empanadas beat out all the others and i tell you what for having gator for the first time on that trip i have become a huge fan of gator meat so oh, that gators you make gator fingers oh my god yeah gator so. nuggets are good but they're too small so i like gator um gator fingers myself okay but yeah we have we can sell that in almost every market here has it you know yep it's so good especially if it's cooked right you know i just had frog legs for the first time the other day i was amazed amazed i've never had it it was the one of the best things i've ever had so for me and i think it comes back to the iguana when it comes to frog legs it's all in how it's cooked and i think yeah, that kind of comes down to just about anything really but there are some foods that have a broader road as far as tolerance for Improper cooking, maybe. But as far as like frog legs, yeah, I've had some really good ones and I've had some really terrible ones. And I, I eat, same thing with stingray. I mean, we go out and shoot them on the Chesapeake Bay a lot. And what, what type of stingray? The southern stingray? So cownos and southerns. And okay. Yeah. And so I've had both. And, you know, to me, the cownos, it's all about, well, both of them really, but it's all in how you take care of them in the field. Yeah. You know, as far as filleting the wings out, make sure you use a different knife versus the one that you actually cut it off the body. And, you know, there's there's a lot of tricks that we've learned over the years, but I would definitely say that uh, it's surprising to me that iguana empanadas beat out all the others. But that's just a true testament that they were made. They were bred for food. They were a food source. And I think that's really cool in a sense that you get to go hunt them every day, but at the same time, it really sucks for what they're doing to y'all's environment down there. It, it, it does. You know, it's constant. And what the sad part is that not everyone's educated enough and what's going on, you know, they're not, the news is trying to help out the Florida fish and wildlife, put some rules out, but they're not really pushing on it to let people know. So that is uh, becoming a problem down here because now, you know, you can be on a canal like we were and not everyone's going to agree with what we're doing. Mm -hmm. Every animal deserves to live. I agree. Not when that animal, one, doesn't belong here. And two, that one animal is making four to five different natives, 
native species become extinct or yeah. threatened, you know, that that's a no, you know, they don't understand that, you know. So basically what I do is I tell everyone right away, hey, we might we call it a Karen. We might have we just don't engage. We don't ignore. Um, so what we do to make everything safe, because like in that area that we were in, you know, it's a lot of noise, a lot of people going by, you, you know, it's goes against everything you've ever were taught hunting goes against everything of hunting and safety class but it is 100 legal so like what we did is we call ourselves into the local pd hey uh, we were in davie so we call ourselves to the davie police department hello hey we're out here on the canal we're using air guns you know not everyone agrees because the phone calls that come in you know we have a psycho family walking out with ar-15 shooting everything right you know that's what the cops hear. So the cops are going to be like, what are they wearing? And then they describe us. Oh, we know they're not. Those are not real guns. They're shooting iguanas. They have the right to. But not everyone agrees, you know. And you just have to not engage just like in anything in life, you know. It's basically how I tell people is, uh, like Declan, do you think Declan could do chemistry at his age right now? Absolutely not. And there's – so why West, why waste your breath trying to – explain that to someone that's not going to get it no matter what right no you're that's right. the way i look at it yeah you know i actually really appreciated because that at first threw me off guard when you called in but i'm like you know what no that actually makes sense because that that eliminates a potential for you myself and my family to be in a very high risk environment with the local police department because like you said if somebody calls in and says hey so-and-so is going around shooting up the place. You know, they're coming in on guard versus, hey, no, we've already talked to them. This is what they're doing. And so I really appreciated you doing that. So safety is always the first thing. You know, we're going to have fun. That's the main thing. Fun is always first. And then we're going to sneak in education. Yeah. I do it every single time, you know. We're not just going to be out here. There's a there's a purpose to our madness. We just make it look fun. Yeah. That's all it is. But one, we're saving the landscape. We're uh, people from losing their land. We're saving our native species, even though we can't sell it. Um, I've found a way to make chum out of it. You know, we have summertime coming up. Iguana chum brings out a lot of fish. So I'm going to make my chum go to the marina, give it to all the captains. And hey, if it works, like I, I, I already know because I've done it. But you got to get the professionals to do it. Give me a call so I can just take pictures of what you caught. And then, hey, 50% off since you helped me out, you know? But we have – and then uh, people making wallets out of it, belts out of the skin. You know, we're trying not to let anything go to waste. We're not just out here trying to be cowboys and just shoot up everything. Like, we want to have fun. We want to be educational. And we want to save our native species here. You know, I tell people all the time, like, I've – enjoying the outdoors i want the next generation to enjoy the outdoors as well and what most people don't understand hunting um all people that hunt is just crazy believe it or not all the money that people spend on hunting license all that money goes right back to the state and that's what they're doing conservation they're protecting the deer they're protecting the turkey for the next generations to go yeah. That's what it's all about. All, all that money pays for the DNR, pays for the officers. Like 95, 90 to 95% goes to that. Without us, there is no DNR FWC. 
Yeah, no, that's uh, Hunter is definitely as, as and I, I say this a lot because it's what I believe and is true as well. But we do more for the animals we hunt than the people who want them to be alive. You know, they because, you know, all they are is a talking mouthpiece. They don't put their money where their mouth is versus us. I mean, obviously, we're going out there. There is a sport behind what we're doing. But our goal is conservation at the forefront. And then two is supplying our family with organic protein. And three is the sport behind it. But. And I'm sure there are different people who just hunt for sport and that's okay too, because their money goes to conservation. And, uh, but they, I, I it's really frustrating because of the way that the world runs is the squeaky wheel gets the grease. And sometimes oh. the squeaky wheel is not what's best for what they're, you know, what their, their mouth is moving for. And so that part can be very frustrating, but One question I did have for you, and it's something that I meant to ask you when we were down there, but, you know, where did these iguanas come from? Is there a definitive answer on how they got here? Absolutely. So let's go with, so Florida, believe it or not, is the second state with most invasive species. Do you think you know what the number one state is with the most invasive species? I'm going to go with Texas or Hawaii. Hawaii. Okay. Everything in Hawaii is invasive because everything that's there has been brought over. That's what it, everything was brought over. That makes sense. I've been to Hawaii. I've done, they've have, um, I think these ferrets or weasel looking like things that they brought over because they have a big rat infestation in Hawaii. But these ferrets or whatever they're, I don't know what they're, forgot what they're called. They only hunt during the day and then the rats only hunt are active at night. So big problem. They've done so much stuff and just messed everything up. But if you ever go to Hawaii, I promise you go do the road to Hana. Don't pay for a guide. Download the app for $7.99. The road to Hana is in Maui. You'll love me. I have to. I love that place. But the where the iguanas came from. Iguanas, of course, once again, Central America, but they were brought over in the pet trade. Like almost every animal down here, all these exotic um we have now crocodiles. We have now spottings of anacondas. We have almost all different types of snakes, pythons, which were all brought over in the pet trade. You know, irresponsible people does do, didn't understand the responsibility of having such an animal. You know, they got an iguana. All of a sudden, this iguana just got six foot, and they're like, uh, what's going on here? And our weather and our ecosystem down here, just everything thrives. With any, if you're a warm-blooded animal, this is where you want to be. They just thrive and thrive and thrive. You have, you know, South Beach, Miami, Fort Lauderdale, West Palm. Everything after that becomes farmland and Everglades, sawgrass. So everything just gets to breed and breed and breed. So snakes, iguanas, all came over in the pet trade. People couldn't handle them, let them go, and they're just exploding everywhere i just came from a new call today there's on a block there's 30 houses every house that i drove down on this street had either two three iguanas on the yard two three iguanas on the roof which were the common green iguanas and the mexican spiny tail Hmm. it's like i'm very honest with them like you want to get rid of them there's no getting rid of them because if i just help you 
Joanne down the street and Tom up the street, you're in the middle. They're not doing anything. They're just going to walk right on over. Yeah. Yeah. You they're going to move from their house. Up. Yeah. And that That's was, it. that was one thing that blew me away when we were riding around going from, you know, one spot to the next, or really just in general, riding around South Florida, you, in the beginning, I wasn't looking for them, but like you would point them out. And then the more that we were driving through those areas, like we're going down, you know, a highway, a four lane highway, and you look over and there's all these like you see iguanas in the most random places. And most of them were sizable iguanas. And then what do we stop at CVS and uh, got the kids some snacks and everything and use the restroom. And then we were coming out and right there on that fountain was four iguanas. And I'm thinking to myself, this is just wow. They're they're like squirrels that we have up here in Virginia. I mean, they're just they're everywhere. And that's actually what I really equated it to when I was trying to describe to my friends when I got back. I said, I really felt like I was squirrel hunting, just a really weird looking squirrel. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's just like a squirrel, you know, like when you hunt a squirrel, you know, they stay they stay still. If you don't have a dog, you know, you have one person stand and the next person walk around the tree to try to get the squirrel to move. Same thing almost with the iguana. The iguana's first defense mechanism is camouflage. So basically, if you see them in the grass or in a tree, they're going to lay flat. If you divert your eyes any other way, they think you don't see them, but you just keep an eye on them. Um, but it, you can make a little bit of eye contact. But as you know, the moment you point, which is hard because I'm trying you try to describe where the iguana is, the moment you point, they know it and they're moving and they're gone. But they, they blend in so good. What I like about them is, you know, you, you might not see them and we shake a tree and all of a sudden three, four are falling out and we can keep walking. And by the time we're walking back, they're coming out the water again. And it's an all day game. You know, you can pass by them. They'll come right back out, run away, come back out. But to touch back where you were saying how in the most odd places, I've seen them on top of a billboard, 50 feet in the air, 60 feet in the air power lines i just did a call the other day where one got into a washer machine i can understand how it gets into a dryer but i don't understand how it got into a washer machine <laughs> you, you get them in people's cars uh, once they're big and say something's chasing them a dog they'll jump in people's pools they'll go through a changling fence and then their hips are too big and, and then they get stuck oh. sometimes you got to cut the changling fence but i learned how to manhandle them out I've got a video of you pulling one out of a chain link fence. Every, these things get everywhere. I'm always like, when they tell me I see one, I'm not surprised anymore. I'm, I just try to figure out how he got there. <laughs> but they're everywhere. Everywhere I go, I have everybody. They're my family. You want, you want, you want. I can do 50, 60 on the highway and still point one out. You seen the one in the tree? You seen this one here? They're just every everywhere. And it's just getting worse and worse because nothing's really being done. Like the areas that I service, um, you can definitely know someone's there. Like you can go to my, I have a, we'll say, call it a 21 century village, century home, you know, how these big communities are. It's a real big community. When I first got there, just to get the contract, just walking from my car to the office was 100 iguanas right on the grass. And when I got to the office, like, you guys have a real problem. I just saw 100 iguanas in the front. She's like, oh, that's nothing. Come over here. Took me to the back. Another 300 on this patio. 
basically this complex was infested. I've now, you go there, I do my runs, I might see maybe three or four. Not nothing like it used to be. Yeah. So you can tell when someone's doing something and then what hurts the most is that you do all that hard work and then once they stop, a couple months later, they start coming back because the neighbor, the neighborhoods close by are not doing anything. Mm-hmm. So everything just comes right back, which is frustrating for the people. You know, there's had to be a way to get everyone on the same page. But until they can get, my thing is the same people that are telling us to go ahead and hey, get rid of them, they're no good. Are the same officials are telling us hey, don't touch them at a park. Yeah, which to me is the craziest thing. You have a state park. So it should follow state rules because you they follow the fish guidelines for fishing, right? Yeah. So, but then when you catch an iguana, they they try to tell you some story. You know, I'm it, iguana's not worth going to jail to prove a point. In my case, right? You, you know what? It's okay for me. You don't want it done, no problem. But you live by a park. For hypothetically speaking, I get rid of every single iguana around the houses. In a couple of months, the ones from the park, and they get kicked out by bigger ones for domination and territory. They go right back to the homes, and it's so frustrating. And it's just going to be a repeat cycle. We have water dams around here, which is uh, South Florida water management, and they have it where you can't get into. They have dinosaurs there. I have it. Dinosaurs, six foot, seven foot iguanas by the hundreds of walking around. They're not doing anything. And this is our water. So, Another thing iguanas have in their feces is salmonella. And salmonella is what? Transferred through water. Mm. So to me, again, mind-boggling. You know, that's why it's very important to get iguanas out the pool. You, you can't tell a young kid not to swallow water. Right. It's not going to happen. They're going to swallow water. They're going to get sick. You have iguanas on your roof. They're pooping. Once it uh, rains, all that water comes down. Now your whole grass... You, Dogs, animals, your pets get sick. It, it's just so frustrating down here. I just get continuous work. You know, that's what I like. You know, if I'm not taking people on the guide, I'm definitely trapping, going to people's houses, communities. Um, it's a good thing. I just glad that we made we made we can make it enjoyable and educational. That's what I like about it. Yeah, no, definitely. Because I know our kids, they were telling all their friends about it. And, you know, we actually, we just had a cookout, a big family reunion yesterday. And, um, in the group message to everyone, I was telling them how like, yeah, I'll bring some exotic meats and everything because we've, you know, we've, we've been blessed this year to go on a lot of hunts and the freezers are full. And so we were able to take some different meats out, but everybody was that asked me about, what I was bringing when they showed up, I was cooking and they're like, did you bring any iguana? And I'm like, nah, we didn't bring any iguana. That's all gone. And they're like, Oh, how about this? Hopefully they're paying attention to this. So we're going to, let's say we're going to test your friends. Now, if any of your friends were at that cookout or whatever, ask for me, if they contact you after this podcast saying, yo, we want me. I'll mail you some meat. There you go. Well, I'll, we'll definitely. So if somebody wants to see him eat, cook, and do a podcast on iguanas, reach out to him. Tell him you've seen the iguana episode and you want to be invited to the iguana cookout. There you go. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Does anybody have a smoker out there? Because that's So stewing it and smoker are the top two ways. If you get a smoker, 
I guarantee you guys will love it. I'll fire the pit boss up and we'll go for it. So. You will love it. I'll give you some little recipes. There you go. Well, good deal, Harold, man. I really appreciate you being on here. This has been fun, very educational, and just outright like fun. I mean, I don't know any other way to describe it. It definitely brought back memories, and I do appreciate everything that you've done for us and our family. And uh, so... If any of if any of the listeners wanted to reach out to you, social media wise, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, any of that, what are what's the accounts that they can reach out to yet? Uh, Iguana Lifestyles on Facebook, uh, TikTok, IG's Iguana Lifestyles three hundred five. It has to be the one that says LLC on it because I have a backup one. Or just Google Iguana Lifestyles. Um, we're pretty much on Google. We're everywhere. We have a lot of social media content. We've been on the news a lot of times, especially the iguanas in the toilet. I'm telling you, that's a very good one. <laughs> um, but once you Google it, you can find us. We all pop up. Uh, your family's amazing. Um, I wish I was a kid being homeschooled and traveling. Like they're gonna, They don't see it now, but I promise you when they get older, they're going to realize how lucky they were. Um, your kids, like I, the way they're, they listen – they pay attention, um, which I love about them like any kid. Okay, let me get mine. Got mine. Okay, I'm good. I'm done. Um, you know, but they were great. Um, all of them. Ava, Zoe, Declan, like they were just all great kids. And they're very lucky to have parents like you guys. You're taking them, showing them the real world and educating them and making it enjoyable and spending time with them. You know, that's the most thing. Kids are little uh, – uh, for just a short time, they grow up in a blink of an eye. And then most people regret because I should have spent more time with my kids. And I admire that you guys revolve your life around your kids. And I hats off to you guys for that. Man, I really appreciate that. That, that makes me feel good. And uh, I'm I'm starting to see it with Ava where she's really like it's it's not there yet. But she knows because her friend's. They live great lives as well, but they don't get to go on the trips that she goes on. And so she's starting to understand, I think, w- within reason from what any nine-year-old can. I mean, she just had a birthday, turned nine oh, years old. God. And, you know, we were we were sharing stories at the cookout and, you know, me and my family. And I'm like, you know, at nine years old, I was still, you know, tagging along with that. I wasn't hunting. And like this girl's done killed 25 plus maybe even closer to 30 big game animals now. And she's only nine years old, just turned nine years old. And she still has, you know, this hunting season coming up. And it's, uh, it's amazing that, you know, how these kids have taken to the hunting and fishing lifestyle and, um, they're sponges. They really are. I mean, we'd still try to remind ourselves that they are just kids. They're not adults. They're not, you know, they're not our buddies, but they are our children. But we, they live a really cool lifestyle for a three-year-old, a five-year-old, and now a nine-year-old. So it's really cool. That leads me into my, my final question for you. And it's something that I ask everybody. And it's, you know, if you could travel anywhere in the world, where would you go and what would you hunt? I would actually go to Hawaii, back to Hawaii, um, because you can get, the you can hunt um so what i really like about hawaii 
goes to conservation. So basically the way Hawaii works is they're very picky and on the side of the islands. So basically say you're fishing on this side of the island. This year it's open. Next year it's not open. You have to go to the other side. And it's the same thing with hunting. Okay. So in Hawaii, I'm a, I am like to spearfish. Um, I'm scuba certified as well. So when I went, I didn't, I couldn't go scuba diving. So my family went and I pretty much motivated me to get my certification. And now I fell in love with it. So I would love to go into mountain, hunt some deer, some hogs, and then go right into the ocean and lobsters, who knows what other types of fish you can get. You know, it's all from the land, yeah. all organic fruit for me. Dude, That's what I love. Some organic surf and turf right there from Hawaii, dude, that would be fun. That would be really fun. We've you talked. Can do it here too. Go get an iguana, and I can go take you to a reef. Walk right to the beach, and I will let you Hawaiian sling a fish. And we have surf and surf right there. There you go. I love it. I love it. I'm gonna hold you to that because we're coming back. Me and April have said we're coming back. We're gonna do that again. And it was one thing that you know, a lot of our hunting trips. It's been primarily all right. Let's go hunting. There's some family fun involved from time to time, but. This one was a very relaxing. We went to Florida, enjoyed a very, uh, it was a long trip, but we enjoyed our time there and then doing something different, something we've never done before. And I definitely, I've, me and her have talked about trailering my boat down there and getting up with you, grabbing the bow fishing gear, grabbing the blow darts, getting the pellet guns, and then just and even the fishing poles, and then just going up and down the canals. And I got spots. I tell me what type of fish you want. I know where they're at. So what's good here in Florida is, um, we have a lot of saltwater fish that become that's become freshwater fish. For instance, we have freshwater tarpon, freshwater snook. Um, those are awesome. I have we have peacock bass, largemouth bass. Right now, one of my f- favorite fish to catch is called a snakehead fish. It looks like a long eel. It's another invasive species. It looks disgusting. It has a slime on it, but it is one of the best freshwater fish I've ever eaten. Oh, yes. It's oh. an all-white flaky fish. You know, it's it, it's just delicious. If you bring it down, we're going to get one of those. Oh, yeah. No, so y'all got uh, the bullseye, have, right? You'll get the bullseye snakehead. We have the bullseye snakehead the blue tilapias, and I think I just found where the clown knife fish are. Oh, nice. Man. Those are beautiful, too. And they're the fish, when you fight them, they're the only fish I've ever seen swim backwards. <laughs> That's wild. It's crazy. Yeah. But, yeah, thank you for having me and everything. Um, Hopefully, next time you come, I can probably take you to find some snakes, too, because that's what I'm – Doing uh, in August, I actually just registered with the state for this competition. There's cash, cash prices. Hopefully, I can get get a picture of one of those and send it to you. Heck yeah, man! Heck yeah. Well, Harold, I really do appreciate your time. This has been fun. I can't say that word enough because it really has been. It definitely brought back brought back memories of being down there chasing them iguanas and uh, just a, a really good wholesome time. And I do appreciate you. I had fun just watching you guys enjoy yourselves. Like that's where it is for me. I do this every single day. You know, I want people, I don't shoot. shoot. I'm like, I do this every day. I like to watch you guys shoot, see how you adjust. It's just so much fun. Like just watching the girls was great. Like it was just watching them. It was just so good. 
And then you getting into it too was awesome. You know, especially you saw the big ones and I just love the energy, the excitement that people that I get to see every day. That's what I enjoy the most. For sure. (laughs) Good deal. It's good. Tell the kids I said, hi, they're always welcome back. We miss them already. Uh, Tell April as well. Great mother. Great with the kids. You guys got a good team going on over there. I really like it. I appreciate it. Definitely appreciate you. And to all of our listeners, we we definitely appreciate your love and your support week after week. And I really can't say that enough. And everything that we're doing, you know, we we enjoy it. We love what we're doing. We love being able to share these experiences with you all. So be sure to leave us a review. We appreciate five-star reviews, but be honest with us. Let us know. If we need to improve on anything, just tell us. But uh, definitely... Make sure you hit that follow button, hit, leave us a review, and we appreciate it. And as always, keep hunting and keep doing what God calls you to do. Thank you for listening to Hunting Day with Stephen Robbins. Don't forget to like, comment, subscribe. If you'd like to follow, you can find Stephen on Instagram at Stephen Hunt Day and Facebook at Stephen Robbins HD. If you'd like to reach Stephen, you can email him at stephen.huntingday at gmail.com.